welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Alison Hill, State Chief Investment Officer at QIC, and each fortnight we invite our listeners to take 10 and catch up on all things economic and investment related. And good morning from my time zone over here in the UK to our Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter. Well, uh, good afternoon from my time zone over here in in Australia, in Brisbane, uh, Alison. And I'd just like to point out to everyone who's listening, this is our first international QPOD. So very, very pleased to be speaking to you over in in London. Yes, over here, seeing a lot of different fund managers and trying to really gather the view on the street. So I think it's probably something we could uh, have a good chat on. But I did want to speak to you this week, if I could, Matthew, in relation to some really interesting forums that have been held in Australia most recently. So we've had not only the Job Skills Summit, but we've also had the RBA coming out, both talking about labour market issues. And we had, you know, really very different messages coming out from those forums, which I thought was really fascinating. We had, you know, the Job Skills Summit talking about the need for wages growth and the message from RBA was quite different. It was more about constraint and needing to sort of not let wages get out of control such we, so that we could control inflation. What's your take on this? Yeah, well, that that's right, Alison. There's really two quite different narratives um, evolving with respect to the labour market, particularly with wage growth. So there's that federal government political, let's say, popular narrative, which sort of says workers have been carrying the burden of adjustment in the economy, largely in the form of weak wage growth. And in fact, this burden has intensified in that post-COVID period of we've had very high inflation. That weak wage growth, according to this narrative, has resulted in a sustained period of, of falling real wages and also a sharp fall in the in the wage share of national income, indeed to a record low. And that that low wage growth has really plagued vulnerable workers. It's vulnerable workers that have really lost bargaining power over wages in industries uh, such as uh, childcare and aged care in the gig economy. And that and that, that drop in real wages actually threatens consumer spending in the economy. So wage growth must go up according to this narrative, amongst other things, to support a flagging economy. Now, the alternative narrative, which is really the RBA narrative, and a lot of mainstream economists subscribe to this narrative, is that at least in the current environment of high inflation, we need to have moderate wage growth, or at least wage growth that isn't being driven by anything other than market forces. And that's required to keep inflation in check. It's also required to at least keep you know, not squeeze profits too much for businesses, although they can remain competitive, particularly those industries that are exposed to international trade. And whilst acknowledging that the profit share is rising, this narrative also says, look, really, that's mainly to do with the mining sector and the mining sector is benefiting from you know, having high prices that we're not paying, but foreigners are paying. And at the end, the end of the line, this story really wraps itself up into the idea that, well, a wage outbreak in the current environment, it really risks you know, wages feeding the prices and vice versa, and that being a spiral, the RBA raising interest rates to the point where it induces a severe recession. So there, that's where the two narratives sit. It's a quite an interesting dichotomy. It is a real dichotomy. And I think it's one that's really echoed 
across the globe. I mean, sitting here in London, obviously this week has been very focused on on the passing of the Queen, which has obviously been an extraordinary event here in, in the UK. But aside from that, the other topic that continues to be discussed is inflation. Now, inflation is sitting around about uh, 10% in the UK. And, you know, there is a real pain being felt by the average household. So I have a lot of sympathy for those industries where I think workers have been underpaid for not just with the um, perhaps the wage price decline, but potentially for many, many years and often female dominated industries. They, from an economic perspective, are really struggling. But on the flip side from my sort of analytical hat, I sort of lean on that view of the RBA. You know, it does appear that market forces are really important to try and bring these factors under control and artificially sort of propping up wages broadly, maybe in certain sectors we could afford it, but broadly it does seem to be fraught with danger. So be interested perhaps we should dive a little deeper because it'd be just really good to actually discuss with our listeners what we think the data is actually telling us. Well, a lot of the devil is in the detail that you pointed out, but at least just at the macro level in terms of let's look first at the wage share because there's been a big focus on this sudden drop in the wage share. It turns out that if you look over the last three decades prior to COVID, that wage share was pretty stable. But since COVID, Alison, that's been the issue. It's fallen by 8%. It's fallen from that 53%, this is the wage share, to 48%. That's a record low point. But the key to that is it's, it's really entirely explained by a surge in profits in the mining sector, which has driven up the profit share. And as, as a consequence, obviously, you know, the profit share goes up, the wage share goes down. Yes. But it's not really because wages have gone backwards so much as to do with the profits of the mining sector going up because, as we know, you know, there's been a complete blowout in, in the uh, the prices that foreigners are paying for our iron ore, our, our gas and our coal. Yes. Now, in terms of the, the wage outlook, again, if you look over the last three decades, real wages have actually grown on average by about 1.2%. That doesn't sound a lot, but this is real wages after we've accounted for inflation. That's pretty much in line with productivity growth. And, and that's what economists expect. We expect the real wage to grow in line with productivity. And that's largely what's happened. But that hasn't been constant over time. That's been dropping. The real wage growth has gradually been falling. So if we look at the last decade, that is from 2009 to 2019, just before COVID, that real wage growth dropped from 1.2% average over the 30 years to 0.8%. Again, though, in line with productivity. So it looks like the real wage has come down, the growth rate, but it's because productivity has fallen. But since COVID, just like with the profit share, real wages have actually gone down. They've gone backwards. They've fallen by 2% since the onset of COVID. That's a little less than 1% per annum. So, you know, if I wrapped it all up, yes, there has been a drop in the wage share. There has been a drop in real wages, but probably for reasons we can understand just in, in, in the period of COVID. Before that, we had pretty stable wage share and we had real wage growth that was positive in line with productivity. The, the, the thing that I get challenged with in that aspect is that, you know, notwithstanding the data, CPI is a really broad measure. Um, and uh, when we're thinking about inflation and real wages, and it seems to me, you know, for the average household, we've got lots of expenses like rent, food prices, 
petrol prices, they're all, you know, experiencing very strong levels of inflation. And we might get a chance to chat about interest rates coming up, but, you know, certainly the, the mortgage is starting to bite a lot harder for the average family as well. So it is a difficult one. It's a real balancing act. And, you know, it's it's one that's going to be hard for, for decision makers. And I think, you know, where we've got think groups like the RBA, they've really only got one tool, which is official cash rates. So that's all they can do. And I think what they have to do is try and then work in with the government and, you know, its policy objectives and what it's trying to achieve by, you know, distributing income fairly and, and, and trying to create a, a productive workforce and a strong economy. But uh, one thing I wanted to chat to you on, Matthew, was, you know, there is one one aspect we could look at, you know, wage price growth, which is sort of enforced, but perhaps there's other ways that can be maybe a little bit more creative. And one thing that's certainly of discussion over here is the sort of the windfall gain redistribution that's occurring in Europe. So, you know, the Europeans are taxing the energy companies that have got, you know, excess profits, and that's being redirected towards households to help protect them from that incredibly strong rate of inflation on energy costs. And, you know, perhaps there's something that we could do. We've got excess profits in mining. Is that is that something we could think about in Australia? Yes, well, I think you make some excellent points there. I mean, we're going to hear of people that are turning off the lights, turning off the gas to be able to afford to live. And we can't have that happening in a, in a modern economy. So how can we deal with it? One thing that's happening is Fair Work Commission's responsible for giving wage increases to uh, low-income workers through minimum wage increases and also through awards. You know, and the last minimum wage outturn was uh, for 5.2% wage increase, but that's going to fall short of, you know, overall inflation and and short for those households that have got the higher weighting to those really strong price increases. So they're going to fall behind. And you raise the, the issue of how might you deal with this. Well, one way is like force even higher wages. The alternative is, as you point out, and they're doing in the UK, we've got, we're getting a windfall gain and the federal government is already flagging that the budget's going to be a lot better than what they were expecting because of the high prices of our resources, swelling the corporate profits of the mining sector in particular, and that's going to boost the budget surplus. So the government can afford to run some of that down, provide income support to those low-income earners that are going to face it tough because don't get me wrong, Alison, even though I think wage growth is going to go up, it's going to be tough. We're going to have falling real wages mm. in the second half of the year. That's a certainty. And so to help out those low-income earners, I think recycling some of those profits that the federal government is reaping through corporate taxes, the miners, to income supports uh, is, is going to be a positive in helping out those uh, affected sectors of the community. Oh, I would agree. You're listening to Alison Hill, QIC State Chief Investment Officer, chatting to Dr. Matthew Peter. Look, Matthew, the clock is probably getting the better of us. It's at risk of becoming, instead of a take 10, a uh, maybe even a take 20. So perhaps we should pause here um, and come back again next week with uh, some further yeah. discussions. You could be right there, Alison. Thank you to our listeners for joining us. And hopefully, if we make this into part two, we'll, uh, we'll catch you then.